One of my dearest colleagues and friends in the Phoenix community is Rabbi Pincus Alush. Rabbi Alush is the founding rabbi of congregation Beit Tefillah, a modern orthodox shul in Scottsdale. They are a wonderful, thriving community. Nancy and I were honored to attend the dedication of their new synagogue a few months ago. One of the major differences between Orthodox and Reformed Judaism is around the transmission of Torah. Generally speaking, Orthodox Judaism believes that Torah is the literal word of God dictated to Moses atop Mount Sinai, incontrovertible truths from the very mouth of God. And generally speaking, Reform Judaism considers the study and impact of Torah at the center of Jewish life, though not the literal word of God. Divinely inspired, yes, but conceived and etched in stone by human beings. Rabbi Elush and I have a great mutual love and respect for one another, teaching together over the years, sometimes reaching the same conclusion, often respectfully disagreeing on how we interpret Torah. He's heard me frequently cite the words of one of the great sages of the 20th century, Rabbi Mordechai Kaplan, who said, Jewish tradition has a vote, not a veto. In other words, make your case drawing on the wisdom of Torah and the deep well of Jewish knowledge but at the end of the day, it's human reasoning that will carry the day. Rabbi Elush and I always begin and end with a loving embrace. The only time, the only time I've insisted on the divine authority of Torah is when it came to negotiating my contract as your rabbi four years ago. <laughs> Everything was in place, and then I made a case for a sabbatical. Solel's two very reasonable lay leaders said, and I embellish a bit, in all due respect, Rabbi, isn't it a little chutzpah to ask for six months off every seven years? Where do you rabbis come up with such an idea? Well, I, of course, was delighted to field that question as I immediately directed them to this week's Torah portion, Bahar, and cited the biblical injunction to take off every seven years. Case was closed, I got my sabbatical, and here I am having taken my first three of six months off. So I am grateful for the biblical authority that helped clear the way for my time off. With all good-hearted irreverence to the side, I'd like to take a closer look at this week's Torah portion, Bahar, and share more personally the impact my three months had on me away from Temple Solel. Our bat mitzvah girl, Brianna Lieber Gomez, will beautifully read from Torah tomorrow morning, beginning with 
The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelite people and say to them, when you enter the land that I assign you, the land shall observe a Sabbath of the Lord. Six years you may sow your field, and six years you may prune your vineyard and gather in the field. But in the seventh year, the land shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your untrimmed vines. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. Remarkably, remarkably thousands of years ago, our ancestors understood that you can't keep producing and producing. The land, too, needs a rest. Likely, there were very practical considerations behind establishing the sabbatical year for the land. After all, as I understand it, not that I'm a maven from growing crops, irrigated land runs the risk of being saturated in time with alkaline sodium and calcium. Who knew? So it just makes sense. Give the land a rest once in a while. As it is with Torah, we're invited to go beyond the surface meaning of the text. Jewish wisdom understands the need to not only take a day off every seventh day, there is a need to go more deeply for the land and for people. As Dr. Carol Oakes, the former director of graduate studies at the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion writes, we are accustomed to striving. We are repeatedly told no pain, no gain. But Bihar is giving us an amazingly counter-cultural message that we are commanded, commanded to not strive. Or as the psalmist reminds us, in vain do you rise early and stay up late, you who toil for the bread you eat. God provides as much for God's loved ones while they sleep. Thankfully, about six months before my sabbatical, my dear friend, Pastor Dave Summers from Paradise Valley United Methodist Church, over lunch reminded me of the essence of Judaism's radical idea of Shabbat, saying, John, you need to take a rest. Keep chasing accomplishments and achievements and wealth and external affirmation you'll end up depleted, spiritually impoverished. Stop striving, stop, rest, be. That's when we understand that human beings do not just live by bread alone. There is so much more that nourishes our soul and sustains our spirits. What I needed was to be 
physically in proximity to these towering, ancient, majestic redwood trees, to be so open to the universe that you hear a tree speak in the softness of the breeze, quietly inviting you to stop. Shema. Just listen, John. Stop, listen, be. The 20th century Jewish philosopher and theologian, Martin Buber, speaks of transactional encounters as I-it relationships, and the more intimate relationships as I-thou. Buber relayed the depth of such an encounter he had with a tree, representing the glory of creation. That's surely how I felt in the presence of this tree and the community of trees surrounding it, humbling myself before the one, feeling small, not in a diminished, impoverished way, the smallness, rather, that comes from healthy humility, the priceless reward of just being. Sand dunes are remarkable. They are ever-changing. On our first day, on our first day, I've got it covered, honey. On our first day in Death Valley National Park, there was such a fierce sandstorm that Nancy and I could not see 10 feet in front of ourselves. When you're in the striving gear, it's so easy to feel like the world is conspiring against you. When you're in the Sabbath gear, you receive the world as it is, disappointments and all. We're aware that the only control we really have is how we choose to respond to the good and the bad. The morning, the morning after this sandstorm, a sandstorm that filled the expanse of Death Valley, I awoke hours before my bride and walked into the sand dunes to await the rising sun. It was a quiet I have never experienced. I stopped, not in the mindset of pursuit, rather just to join in the silence and receive the stillness, the priceless reward of just being. Nature ever changing and renewing the promise of a new dawn, the hope of the rising sun, the darkness and the light. So what does it mean for the earth to lay fallow for a season? What does that mean for the human spirits? What will nourish us? When will we bloom again? As it is with the soil, taking a sabbatical doesn't stop growth. It's a different, less restrictive growth. The Sabbath, as it reliably comes every seven days, and perhaps every seven years, 
is a space to take delight in the ordinary and with no expectations to receive the extraordinary in the ordinary. It's in Shabbat, in rest, that we create shalom, a peace that comes from a wholeness of the soul and emanates into the world. It's a still Shabbat morning on the back porch of a cherished friend's home in Israel's northern Galilee, looking out into villages of Jews, of Muslims, and Christians. And all you can see is the soft, muted sunrise through an exquisite glass orb, suspended by love, supported by a rainbow strung by hearts. In the quiet and the non-striving, new worlds can be created. A Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of the Lord.